Uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Um, uh, my name's Matt, just in case you're wondering, I am actually the same guy as that. Really excited, actually, uh, about an opportunity to, to do this, and so please do lean in uh, to that space. And it really is going to be, I, I just, I, it is going to be a massive blessing uh, as well to um, Christ Restoration Church there in Kalangwari, but for us, it's about bringing a thank offering and, and being thankful to God, and we're going to be a grateful church. It's going to be, it's going to be so good. So, um, Of course, one of the reasons that we, that we gather together, part of what we do here on our Sundays, uh, as well as make a public demonstration of what is most important in life, I love to think about what we do here, is this is a public demonstration where we demonstrate what is most important in life, but one of the things that we do as part of this, as well as um, declaring that through our songs of worship is that we also reflect on that. We reflect on the things that are most important in life. This, this is, I, I believe, this can be such an important point of orientation for us, whether you are, have been a Christian for some time or even whether you are just here and you're exploring faith. Uh, may this be a point of orientation. May, may this be a time where you get to lift your head and actually reflect on what is most important about life. Uh, as I often say, it's so easy in our fast-paced culture to lose sight of that. And so it's important to take this time each week to lift our heads and remind ourselves <clears throat> of what we're part of. In some ways, uh, I think of this as like our kind of military parade. This is where we all gather together and, uh, and we might remind ourselves of, of our mission and our purpose and the wonderful privilege of being children of God together. What I want to talk about today is a very, uh, very important topic that uh, I've been reflecting on for some time and has been on my heart for some time. And I want to say up front, I want to express a, a concern, but also an opportunity that I feel that we have uh, and that I'd like to lean into this morning. My concern is that we so easily lose hope. We so easily lose our hope. And when we lose our hope, that is a very, very serious thing. Now, there are some of you here, perhaps, who do feel that you have lost hope. And then there are others that don't really recognize that, that perhaps think, well, I feel pretty optimistic and, and you know, I think, think things are going pretty well and I don't believe I've lost hope. It's often, uh, and, and actually, I think there is a way of losing hope that is easily not recognized. And it's the, it's the undiagnosed problems often that do us the most harm. But what I want to do today is help you to understand that um, and, but also to really sow hope into this space. I want to sow lots of hope into this space because I believe this is much needed right now particularly. When I read the, the New Testament, there is this really paradoxical combination in the disposition of the writers of the New Testament, people like Paul and, uh, and others, and when I read through the book of Acts and so forth. And actually, I also see this very much present in the Psalms, the, uh, the book of Psalms right in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament is a book of songs and prayers. And one of the wonderful things about the Psalms is that it depicts what biblical spirituality biblical spirituality looks like. We get to look from the inside, as it were. We get to feel with the psalmist uh, elements of biblical spirituality. And one of the things that's fascinated me, and I have been fascinated by the spirituality of the psalms, I even wrote a book uh, on it called uh, Deeper Places, and um, is the 
paradoxical combination of sadness and joy concurrently, a combination of sadness and joy at the same time. And it's also something that is very much characteristic of the New Testament. We, and, and this is important, I believe, because we can tend to think, if I'm in a place of difficulty or grief, then I, I need to try to get out of that to a place of joy. And yet, the most profound in the Bible, uh, New Testament, I see this, as I said, expressed in the Psalms, the most profound moments of joy are often actually found in the midst of difficulty and, and hardship and grief. And, and, I, and I don't want to be trite about this, because I, I really don't want to under... Uh, understate the seriousness of the things that happen. And man, when you read the Psalms, they are facing some serious, serious things, the like of which, much of which we probably could not imagine. And yet I find it remarkable that as everything is stripped away from them, in the most difficult and grievous moments, it's like they hit this bedrock of reality this sense of the constancy of God that almost because, of the, because their circumstances have stripped so much away and they hit this bedrock and they find this constant joy. You know, Paul says uh, in, in the New Testament, rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't mean that we're always going to be jubilant, but there is a bedrock, a constancy of God in that, that often in my experience and in, uh, as a pastor working with other people and discussing the issues that other people go through, it's so common that it's often when everything gets stripped away and you hit the bedrock right at the bottom, when all of the, um, the sources of, of joy and pleasure that we have and that we get from our environment, when all of that's stripped away and we hit the bedrock, man, we find something profound in that place. And so... It's concurrently this sense of grief. And I know in my own life, I would not choose the circumstances, again, that led me to that discovery. <laughs> I wouldn't choose those circumstances again. And yet I still carry the echo of that joy that I found uh, in those places. It's joy and grief. It's joy and sadness together concurrently. Now this, folks, this actually is the feeling of hope. This is the feeling of hope. Uh, in ordinary language, hope is this sense of joyful anticipation of something. It's the anticipation of something beyond, uh, beyond this. And biblical hope, that is true of biblical hope, but there's something much deeper about biblical hope, and I want to help to understand that. So, I want to explain to you some things, just a couple of things about the biblical world. We're going to do that. We're going to have a look at some examples, some scriptures that express this biblical hope. And then as much as possible, I want to point you towards this. I sort of want to give you a bit of a rhetorical push into a place of hope if, if God will enable me to do that this morning. There are, I want to talk about for lack of a better way to do this, and I've been trying to think about how to uh, explain this as simply as possible. And I want to talk in terms of sort of layers of reality because I'm saying that there is, there's this sense of grief and sadness, this uh, grief and joy at the same time that, can, that exists concurrently uh, in the biblical worldview. And that is actually a result of actually the, 
uh, the way that just things are at the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a reflection of the nature of reality. You see, I want to talk of a, the first layer in terms of God's created order. Like God created this beautiful world, an expression of his goodness and his glory. There is so much goodness that we're surrounded by. There is so, all creation praises God. There is so much goodness that God has put in the world and in human beings, and, and there's so much to celebrate and enjoy. And so there's that first layer of reality that, that, that proclaims the praises and the glory of God continually to us. But a very crucial aspect of the biblical story is the fact that human beings have become alienated from God. And I'm going to talk just in very broad brushstrokes uh, today. That human beings have been alienated from God, and as a result of that, they've been alienated from each other and even alienated from God's good world. And so there is this, in, in, in a sense, human beings have sort of set themselves off in, in having been alienated from God and in choosing, as I've, the way that I put it, is that we, instead, we choose to be gods unto ourselves. We choose to, we choose to be the gods of our own lives and of, inevitably of our environment. And so that creates this thing that is described in Scripture as a kind of world system. The, the, the word world in the New Testament sometimes refers to the people of the world. So, for example, in the very well-known Scripture, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's talking about people. But often the, the word world is used to describe the world system that is in some sense imposed over God's good creation. As, and we might think of that as another layer, like an artificial layer. Human beings have set themselves off against God and each other and the world. And, and we've created this world system that, that, in a sense, instrumentalizes everything that God created as good, that instrumentalizes that for our own purposes. And often we instrumentalize those things in order to create for ourselves a kind of heaven on earth. The problem is the more that we do this, and this is a matter of history, the more human beings have tried to create a kind of heaven on earth, or you might refer to it as a utopia, um, following uh, the word utopia was first used in Thomas More's uh, novel in, at the beginning of the, in, of the Enlightenment period when there was all this optimism about we're going to you know, create this humanistic utopia on earth, like heaven, heaven on earth. We're going to fix all our own problems and, and so forth. And... The problem is that every attempt to create hum human utopias, human heavens on earth, it, it always has ended up looking something more like hell whenever we've tried to impose that uh, on, on the world. And after hundreds of years, thousands of years even of trying to do that, um, it's interesting to note in the 20th century the prevalence of the dystopian novel. <laughs> sort of, you get you get that um, beginning in the in the 20th century where I think human beings really started to realise, man, we we've really messed this up. And this is a very prominent experience in our world today. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of pessimism about human beings and what they've done to the world and to the planet, and, and uh, there's a lot of hopelessness in our world today. A lot of people are feeling hopeless in our world today. 
as I said, you know, you, there, there are all of, these, uh, all of these dystopian novels. One of the first ones was a novel called Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, and, and Brave New World envisages this, uh, this, one, world, uh, um, this one world system uh, where a, a, a sort of a one world government keeps people in subjection by constantly giving them everything that they want all the time. The great slogan of that society is no leisure from pleasure, right? They feed people, they even entrap people in their own desires and their own pleasures, and it keeps everyone in subjection, lest anyone actually lift their head and say, what is all this about? Is this even right? What's, you know, and, and so they just keep them engaged in that, and man, it's such a prescient, <laughs> such a prescient novel written like in the 1930s. And there is a kind, I said there are two kinds of loss of hope. There is one form of losing your hope is when you, you feel that you have nothing to look forward to, that there is nothing beyond this. But I want to say today that there is something beyond this, and I'll get to the second, the second type of loss of hope that I think is particularly problematic. And that's the one that you, you may not be aware of. But the first loss of hope is the sense that there is nothing beyond this. And this is where I want to talk about a third layer. See, over the top of the world system that is instrumentalized and destroying the good creation uh, that God has made. Over the top of that, there is this thing that God is doing. When Jesus came, he announced the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. That means that God is at work in the world, reconciling people to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ announced that he was reconciling people to God. And that throughout this age, he was going to be at work in the world doing that and transforming lives by the Holy Spirit, and that at the end of this age, he would return again to finally destroy all evil, to destroy the world system, to, to bring that to an end, and in broad brushstrokes, again, you can insert uh, the other bits here, try not to insert too much, but uh, that he, he was coming to usher in a new creation, a new creation. The kingdom of God at work now. Over and above everything else that is happening, God is at work, folks. And he's going to bring that work to a culmination. This is, it is this hope that really creates the notion of history that most people work with today, the idea of a linear history actually comes from the Christian worldview. The fact that it's all going somewhere. Previous to that, history was always seen as cyclical. And without Jesus, it is cyclical. We just go over the same things again, the same failed attempts, and we go round and round and round in circles. But history has a goal and a climax. It says in Second Peter... Uh, chapter 2, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There is something over and above this sorry state that we live in, this system 
that destroys, and, and remember I said, it's, not everything is bad because there is so much goodness in the world. There, there is so much goodness. It's testimony to the goodness of God in the world and in people. And, but what people are really becoming very aware of and what is causing a lack of hopelessness is this sense that we always seem to wreck the good things of God. There's so much goodness, but why is it that human beings always seem to wreck this? And that's because there is a corruption that has entered into human nature. Not only a spiritual corruption, but a, but a physical corruption because we've been set off uh, against our environment. We've lost this sense of authority and, and, and so we're mortal. We are, you know, uh, we've, we suffer disease and, and it's just, it's, in many ways it's a, Tragic situation precisely because there is so much goodness in the world. That's why it's so tragic. But the good news is that God is at work in the midst of that. God is at work over and above all of that and he is bringing about a new creation and that is our hope. We have something to hope in, what God has done, what he is doing and what he's going to do. And as I read through the New Testament, one of the things that, that is so evident is the strong future orientation of the New Testament. They are longing for what God is bringing about. They're connected with what God is doing and they are longing for the things that God is bringing about. The catch cry of the New Testament is, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha in Aramaic. Come, Lord Jesus. They are longing to see this world system implode and Jesus to come back to bring about a new creation. Now, when I say that, I wonder what your reaction is. When I talk about the world system imploding, and man, when you read the book of Revelation, it certainly, you certainly see this prediction of the world system imploding. And I wonder how you feel about that. Maybe you feel, oh, no, hang on, whoa, whoa, I, I like, I, I, I kind of like this, I don't want that to happen. I like my, you know, life. And, and you know, uh, yes, okay, maybe you even feel a bit nervous about, you know, Jesus coming back. Well, oh, just, maybe not yet, though. I mean, Jesus, don't be in too much of a hurry. Like, I'm having a good time here. I don't want you to come and, you know, come and wreck my party, Jesus, uh, coming back. And this is what brings me to the second type, the second way in which you can lose your hope. The first way I said that you can lose your hope is that you lose any sense of this, of something beyond this, that because of maybe what you're suffering or the grief that you're experiencing right now, and maybe you don't see beyond that something bigger at work. And I'm here to, to tell you that there is something, there is good news, the kingdom of God is at work. But the second loss of hope, and this is the one we tend not to recognise the most, the, the second loss of hope is when we actually like this just a bit too much. It's when we like this, the way that things are, just a little bit too much or in the wrong way. 1 John chapter 2 says this. 
from verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Do not love the world, it says. You know, we have um, in this building pretty much every day of the week, sometimes multiple times a day, uh, there are funerals in this building. And I often, you know, I walk through the, through the foyer and I look up onto the screens and, and you know, has the picture of the person uh, who was deceased. And it's, there's always a sense, there's always a sense of reality check to that. When I look at that face up on the screen, you know, and often, often it's like there's a child or someone young. I mean, it's always tragic, right? But it's when, you know, when I look up and I see a little child and I say to myself, I think, oh, I don't like this. I I'm, I, I'm, I'm so over this. This is, this is so tragic. And I sense the reply of God saying, well, you're not meant to like it. You're actually not meant to like things the way that they are because God doesn't like it. Does anyone know what the shortest verse in the Bible is in the New Testament? The shortest verse in the Bible, two words, what does it say? Jesus wept. wept. He wept over death, the death of his friend. See, it was just bad. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that we've got to be really stoic and find a reason. Well, there must be some reason for this. You know, and we try to be all philosophical about it. And actually that, I said, we feel like we need to be stoic. That actually is stoicism. It's not the Christian worldview. And uh, Greek and Roman stoicism has had a very influential, unfortunately, uh, effect uh, in our, even within Christendom. It's this idea that, you know, there must be, you know, if it happens, there must be, it's like an extreme form of fatalism. There must be a reason for it. There must be, I've got to find there's something good about it. Now we can, you know, I said that God is at work in everything. But the situation is that we face, there are aspects, so many aspects of it that are just bad that even God grieves over. That God grieves over that situation. And it's important to recognize this because when you sense that, when you have that sense, oh, this is just insane, man. This is just like, this is it's just not right, you know. And often people turn against God. They blame God for that. When actually God is saying, I agree, it's just not right. But God is at work in the midst of it. This is our hope, right? Is that God is at work in the midst of it. And this life that we live, this blip, in eternity is a chance for us to connect with what God is doing, with what God has done, is doing, and what he's going to do. This, this can I say, I hope this doesn't sound negative because for me this has been one of the most liberating things. It's so liberating. You don't have to like it. You're not meant to like it. 
I think sometimes we, we want to make it so, so that we can say, oh, no, I do like it. I do like the world, you know, like, so, that, so that John's words won't apply anymore. Do not love the world. Well, actually, we've done a good job. We've made it so that we do like it. but we're not meant to like it. At the same time, remember though I said that grief and joy at the same time. Because at the same time, we can rejoice in so much goodness. We can rejoice at the goodness we see in the world around us. The goodness of an image, albeit broken in human beings, the good image of God in human beings, and, and celebrate that and rejoice. And then over above it all, rejoice in what God is doing because he's bringing about a new creation. And he wants a people who will feel the sting enough to, who, as they feel the sting of the brokenness of this world, will say, oh, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And you know, in Romans chapter 8, Paul even says, that the Apostle Paul who wrote part of the New Testament, he actually says, we are saved by hope. Because it wrenches us away from getting too connected, from putting our hope in the world system. It wrenches our hope from that and it puts our hope in God and in his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, let me read to you this. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 8, where Paul says that. And, and get the, the disposition here. And, and may God, you know, may God instill this into every heart in this room, lest we lose our hope. Verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Notice that. The result of being filled with the Spirit is this reality check. It's like the more you are warmed by the presence of God, man, the colder the world system seems. For in this hope, he says, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let me use an illustration that I've used before. In a way, this life is a little bit like being dropped in a helicopter with a, with a military unit. Imagine you're in a military unit and, you, and you're dropped in a helicopter and you're dropped into a hostile zone and the, uh, the commander says, right, now go in there and do that and bind up the broken heart and release from prisoners those who, you know, like uh, Isaiah chapter 60, where I go in, go in and do this and do that and do that, right? And then I'm going to pick in one week, I'll pick you up on the other hill, right? Your meeting place, rendezvous point on the other hill. So go do that, 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 pick you up on the other hill, bang, that's life. Life is mission. We're on mission. 
Now, it'd be pretty silly if we, having been dropped off and in that situation, we said, hang on, whoa, whoa, God, I don't like it here. Uh, The whole point of you being on mission is that, well, God doesn't really like it either. And you're not meant to like it, right? It's not, you, you know, you don't get too comfortable there, right? Live as aliens and strangers in the world, the Apostle Peter says in his letter. Live as aliens and strangers in the world. You're on mission. Do, da, 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 do this, 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 and then go pick up, get to the pickup point. And don't get too entrenched, right? Don't get too entrenched. Don't get too connected because you might miss your pickup. I mean, that's simplistic, I know, and don't push that metaphor too far, but... This is what life is, its mission. And in my moments when I feel most the sting of the chaos and the brokenness of this world, and when I'm confronted by tragedy and grief, I say to myself, oh, I'm, I, Lord, just, I'm out of here. Like, I'm just going to do, do the things that, I've got, that God's called me, and then I'm out of here. I'm just, this is, I'm over this. <laughs> And I know that sounds very pessimistic, but it brings me so much joy because I feel so liberated because I don't need the things of this world. I'm here on mission. I'm an alien and stranger in the world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1 just to push the point a little bit further. And I want you to hear in these words the joy and the liberation. And he writes this when he's in prison. He writes this when he's in a Roman prison, and that's not a nice place to be. He says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. How's that for focus? How's that for liberation and joy? This is the guy who says, rejoice in the Lord always. And to that statement, we might say, oh, but look what's going on around. And he's not saying don't have grief. Actually, it's because you grieve those things that you are actually reminded when you feel the sting of that grief, there is more than this. Oh, thank God for what you are doing in this world. And thank God that there's a new creation coming. And God often does things to awaken our hope, folks, to awaken our hope. Because we, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's the source of our rejoicing. May hope be awakened in you because it will liberate you and focus you and save you. What do you reckon? You're looking a little stunned. That's okay. Because I think we all need to know this. 
This is what life is all about, folks. And it's going to liberate us. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray. Today, as we, as we stand here, I want to encourage you to rededicate yourself or maybe dedicate yourself for the first time to God and his mission, to put your hope in Christ today. And I wonder, what have you been putting your hope in today? Maybe your hopes, maybe you're here and your hopes have been dashed. Maybe you hoped in the wrong thing. Today I want to seed hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, hope into your heart today. Because God is at work. Why don't we pray? So Lord, today we rededicate ourselves to this living hope. Father, we say yes to Jesus, to Jesus' call to be reconciled to God. We say yes to Jesus, to follow him. We say yes today to the mission of Jesus in our workplaces, in our social situations, in our, and that we, would, that we would exude hope, that we would exude the joy that comes from hope, even in the midst of darkness. Father, we pray that you would light a lamp of hope in every heart today. A lamp of hope in every heart today. And that together, as lamps of hope, we would shine brightly in a hopeless world. Because you are doing something wonderful, Lord. And our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone today. We put our hope in him. And so we say yes to Jesus, yes to the mission of Jesus, yes to the call of Jesus. And we say, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to your coming Jesus and to a new creation. And even now, would you seed that eternal life into every heart, Lord? We praise the name of Jesus because our hope is in him alone. Let's respond this morning.